Welcome, I'm Anastasia Glova bringing you the Cato Daily Podcast. Full and edited versions of our podcasts are available on our website at www.cato.org. This electoral season has spelled doom for many an incumbent running for re-election. With several elections already lost to new candidates and races in Hawaii, Pennsylvania, and Connecticut under threat from challengers, American politicians may be witnessing an anti-incumbent backlash. Director of Government Affairs Brandon Arnold discusses the trend in today's podcast. There seems to be an anti-incumbent backlash this electoral season. Why is this happening? Well, I think there's a lot of problems that uh, people in America are concerned about right now. Obviously, the big one is Iraq. Right now, 55 to 60 percent of people are unhappy with what's going on in Iraq. I think people, uh, whether it's accurate or not, think that the economy is progressing poorly. There may be some disagreement from economists there. I think most economists think it's a little bit stronger than the general public does. But a lot of these big issues, people just aren't very optimistic about the path that our country is on. And I think they're going to take that out on the politicians this November. And who are the politicians whose races are in danger? Well, there's a lot of politicians that are currently in danger. They're actually talking about this as being a year that could rival 1994 and the number of seats that switch parties or switch hands. There's already been some big names that have lost. A name that might not be known nationally, but is certainly known up in the Midwest, is Joe Schwartz. Uh, he's a moderate Republican congressman from Michigan. He actually just lost his primary, a challenge on the right. A gentleman beat him. It was endorsed by the Club for Growth, a fiscal conservative. Knocked him out. A lot of the reason was because of the anti-incumbency sentiment that we have out there in the public right now. Cynthia McKinney is a Democrat from Georgia. She lost a seat. A lot of that was because of some personality issues. She's known for doing some very eccentric things like punching police officers. But she was knocked out in a Democratic primary in, in Georgia. Not a tremendous surprise, but indicative perhaps to, to a small degree of the anti-incumbency backlash. Some other races that have just actually occurred, uh, Frank Murkowski, the governor of Alaska and a, uh, a former U.S. senator, he finished third in a Republican primary for governor. So he is going to be out of office very shortly. He committed a, uh, a pretty major flaw a couple years ago when he vacated a seat and became governor. He appointed his daughter as U.S. senator. And even though it's been a few years and she's won a, a general election independently, people are still a little upset about that, as well as uh, several missteps that he made in Alaska himself. Could you talk a little bit about the Lieberman race? Yeah, of course. Well, that's the big one. I can't believe I, I didn't mention that already. Everyone knows that, that Lieberman lost in a primary to Ned Lamont in Connecticut and is now uh, running as an independent in the general. But I think this really uh, underscores the, the entire anti-incumbent movement right now. A lot of people are trying to paint this as an, as an anti-Republican movement, and I don't think that's entirely accurate. I think the Lieberman results shows that people are very unhappy with the war in Iraq, so they booed out an otherwise fairly liberal Democrat in a fairly liberal state largely because of that single issue and largely because of that anti-incumbent feeling. You know, pollsters, one of the frequent questions that they put out there is, right now, would you support a generic Democrat or a generic Republican uh, if given the choice? And over the past several months, Democrats have had the advantage in that by about 15 to 10 points. Recently, that's tightened up a little bit. Now, the latest poll that I saw was about 47 percent favoring a Democrat, 45 percent favoring a, a Republican. That's virtually neck and neck. So what that tells me is that people aren't necessarily irate with the Republican Party, aren't necessarily irate with the Democratic Party. They're irate with Congress right now. They're irate with the elected officials themselves. That's right. We've got Rick Santorum, who's a very high-ranking Republican, and his race is in danger. Could you talk about that? 
Well, sure. Uh, Santorum is, is a guy that several years ago people were really excited about in conservative circles. He's a fiscal conservative. He's a social conservative. Uh, he was able to win a, a couple of elections in a swing state, and people were very high on him. Now he's made a number of political miscalculations, and he's in major danger. I think most people would say he's the most vulnerable member of the U.S. Senate right now. And uh, a lot of it is because of his own political miscalculations. Part of it is certainly what I've said a million times, I think, in the, the past couple minutes, is that there's a strong anti-incumbent backlash out there. And I think Santorum is very likely to lose his seat as a result. Does the backlash have anything to do with Bush's approval rating? Well, there's no question about that. Uh, Bush's approval rating right now, I think, is in the mid-30s, which is pretty abysmal. It's been hovering around that level for some time now. Recently, uh, um, a candidate for for the U.S. Senate in Maryland, Michael Steele, who's a Republican, uh, the lieutenant governor, he thought he said this anonymously, but he went so far as to say that being a Republican in Maryland is a scarlet letter, and, and he really wants to stay away from President Bush. He distanced himself a little bit from those comments, but I think they're they're pretty accurate. First of all, Maryland is a, is a blue state. Bush has never been popular there, but now he's tremendously unpopular. And for somebody to win an election in a state like Maryland or even a state like Pennsylvania, they really need to consider how unpopular Bush is, and, and they really need to consider how close they are perceived to being to him. If constituents become so disenchanted with an incumbent after a while, do you think term limits would be a possible solution? Well, personally, I would like to see uh, some sort of term limit law. Right now, the incumbency win rate in Congress is tremendously high. Even in this year, we're talking about this tremendous incumbent backlash, anti-incumbency. The New York Times says that there are 14 seats in the House that are considered toss-ups right now. 14 equals about 3% of the total House seats. So even if all those seats switch parties, we'll see about a 3% of seats changing parties, which tremendously low. You know, what's interesting is out of those 14 seats that, that are rated as toss-ups, six of those are open seats. So these are cases where the incumbents don't even want those seats anymore. In fact, if most of those incumbents had decided they want to stick around for another term, they'd be very safe. So the only reason that a lot of these seats are even in play is because incumbents are stepping aside. If incumbents decide to run for their seat, there's a tremendously high chance that they will actually win, even in a year where there's a strong anti-incumbency sentiment. So when we talk about 1994, about the huge turnover in the House of Representatives, the huge turnover was 54 seats. There are 54 seats that changed hands. 54 seats is 12%. So 88% of the seats stayed in the hands of the party that that controlled them previously. That doesn't sound like a, a very democratic system, if you ask me. Something like term limits, which many of the states currently currently have some form of term limits, I think would raise the public's confidence in their elected officials. We'd have more of a citizen legislature like our founding fathers originally intended. And uh, I think we'd have a, a more effective and more responsive Congress. If so many of the legislators that are leaving seats open would have been reelected again if they were running, doesn't that tell you that their constituents are not unhappy and that term limits would most likely make the constituency unhappy? Well, I don't necessarily think so. If you look at a a couple of the recent seats that have been uh, highly publicized, Bob Ney's seat in Ohio, Tom DeLay's seat in Texas, if they had stuck it out, if they had stayed in those elections instead of withdrawing, there's a very high chance that they would have won. The reason was not because they were tremendously popular. It's because they had a lot of money. They had been very effective fundraisers. They had a lot of name ID. They had stayed in those seats for over a decade each. And uh, it's very difficult for somebody who resides in that district, 
both overwhelmingly Republican districts to actually walk away from somebody they supported that, that many years and vote for, let's say, a Democrat that they're going to disagree with on a vast majority of issues or an independent who they've never heard of and doesn't really have the financial resources to get their name out there. This has been Cato Daily Podcast. Thank you for listening.